Tonight in the Honky Tonk Time Machine, we're talking to a guy with 15 studio albums under his belt. He's charted more than 35 singles since 1986, and that voice is unmistakable. We're talking about T. Graham Brown. It's an honor to have him on the show tonight. T. Graham, welcome. Thank you, Glenn. Appreciate you having me on your show, man. Like I said, it's an absolute pleasure and a privilege to have you on. How have you been lately? Oh, we've been doing okay. Uh, hanging in there. I've been doing uh, some jingle work, and I did a Greatest Hits acoustic album, and I shot a Western movie yesterday oh. that, Trace, that Trace Atkins is starring in. So just having fun, you know, doing little fun things. Any word on when we can expect to see that one, that movie? No, let me see. Well, probably before the end of this year, I would say. That's good to hear. And you've been, I mean, you've, this is not your first uh, acting stint. You, you've done some acting work throughout the course of your career, haven't you? Yeah, I've been, you know, a little bit here and there. It really was fun doing a Western yesterday and, and uh, hanging around horses. That was a <laughs> lot of fun. Getting, getting to play dress up, getting to play cowboy. That's always fun. You talk about some of the jingle work you've done, too. I mean, you've done a lot of that. In fact, I want to say that's kind of what your first gig was when you got into Nashville. You were doing a lot of that uh, there in the early 80s, weren't you? Yeah, well, that was one of the things I was doing. I, you know, gosh, I seems like I sang uh, <laughs> Dr. Pepper, 7 Up, Coca-Cola, Mountain Dew, Hardee's, Burger King, Wendy's, Taco Bell, <laughs> KFC, just on and on, you know. I did did a whole lot of them. It was a lot of fun too. Well, when I remember the Taco Bell commercials, you know, the I think it was like head to the border there. That was like a four year run for you, wasn't it? Yeah, we had a we really had a lot of fun doing that. <laughs> hey, to pay the bills once you get into Music City, but you're originally from Georgia, I guess, right? Yeah, I'm from uh, Athens, Georgia. We moved to Nashville in uh, 1982, so we've been here a long time. As you're growing up in Georgia, what was it that was like the biggest influence on you becoming a successful country music singer? Man, that's a good question, Glenn. I think I was just trying to get out of work. <laughs> <laughs> I just started singing when I was going to the University of Georgia to pay my tuition, and uh, I didn't know it was going to last this long. I started singing for a living in 1973, and it just uh, went on and on, and here we are, man. It's been it's been a lot of fun. I can't believe it's been that long. Started in 73, going on 50 years. Time is flying by. Who did you grow up listening to, though, T. Graham? You know, man, I, I listened to this little... 5,000-watt AM station that didn't have a format. They would play Johnny Cash, and then they would play maybe Otis Redding, and then the Beatles, and then Jerry Lee Lewis. It was all over the place. So I, I heard all different kinds of music when I was growing up. And then at night, I, I had a transistor radio, you know, and I would just scroll through the dial late at night and pick up those clear channel am stations and you know wlac i could hear r&b i could you know it just depended on what i was listening to at night which stations were coming in the clearest and uh, so i listened to all different different kinds of music and i think my style is just kind of a little bit of everything i guess you call it it's not really one particular thing it's a lot of different things mixed together I'd say that's a good way to describe it. It's interesting you mentioned Otis Redding because you've been described as the country Otis Redding. 
You've also been called the R&B version of George Jones, which is uh, pretty good comparisons, I'd have to say. Uh, do you agree with that assessment? Uh, Otis Redding was from just up the road from where I grew up, and so I listened to him, and uh, I loved George Jones, I, and I had uh, a couple of Johnny Cash albums. I didn't have a lot of albums, but I had uh, Live at San Quentin was one of the ones I had, and I had a live Jerry Lee Lewis album, and I, I bet I didn't have five albums growing up. I didn't really have a stereo. I just had a little record player. There wasn't a whole lot of music in my family, uh, in my house, really. So I was just trying to find it where I could find it, you know? You know, it's interesting. Most of the artists that I've talked to since starting this show about a year ago have had some kind of musical background in their family, and that kind of led them to be what they are. So, in a lot of ways, that makes your story that much more impressive that you were able to accomplish what you've accomplished without having that background. And I'm sure being gifted with your amazing voice helps. But how did you get your big break then uh, once you got to Nashville? Well, I started singing songwriter demos. You know, that was one of the first things that that I could figure out how to do. You know, I, could, I didn't have a record deal or wasn't writing really hit songs. I signed with... Uh, a company uh, called CBS Songs. It morphed into EMI, and I think it's owned by Sony now. But I signed with a publishing company pretty quick, you know, like six months after I got here. But I started singing songwriter demos, and my voice got passed around on uh, demo tapes around Music Row. And that's how I got noticed, really, is people listening to to songs, different producers listening to songs and record companies listening to songwriter songs, you know. And so that's how I really broke into it, I guess you'd say. Well, that's cool. I was just talking to Kathy Matea like a couple of weeks ago who broke through right around the same time you did, and she said basically that's exactly how she got her start. And another thing she told me was she gave me a quote from Steve Earle, who I know you're pretty good buddies with too, he was talking about the changing landscape in country music in the 80s, and he called it the great credibility scare of 1986. Oh, I remember. I saw Steve the other night at the Opry, backstage at the Opry, and uh, we go back to the beginning, you know, of our careers. I love Steve. He's a great friend of mine. But, yeah, he made that comment, I remember. Uh, there was a bunch of us that same year that came out, really, uh, Dwight Yoakam and, and Keith Whitley and Marty Stewart and Randy Travis. And, you know, I, I'm trying to think who else. And I think Vince was a couple of years after that. It was a good time. Yeah. It was really a, a good time for for music. And we were all young and we were all having fun. What did he mean by that exactly, the great credibility scare? Basically saying that uh, all of a sudden we're getting some credible artists breaking through here. What did what did he mean by that? <laughs> I think that's probably what he meant, yeah. I guess. You know, I, uh, I think he just meant it was a whole new day, basically. Uh -huh. you know, it, there was a, like I said, a bunch of us came out that same year. It was a pretty good year for uh, for country music. I, I remember it being a lot of, you know, Keith Whitley was a great friend of mine. He was like a brother to me, and he was hitting. We just had, you know, uh, Randy Travis just ushered in a whole new, a whole new time. I think 
I had my little thing going, you know, I had my little country R&B thing going and, and Marty Stewart had his country rock thing going and we just had a, we just, it was a good, good year, good time. It really was. It, it, it's hard to beat it. And, and, you know, talking more about some of your music, you, you broke through there in, in 1985. Well, well, your first single actually was Drowning in Memories and that was a top 40 hit for you, and, and just like that, you're out on country radio. How'd that feel to have that breakthrough success? Uh, we had a blast, man. That was really fun. You know, you can imagine what it was for a young guy hearing himself on the radio for the first time. It was just a thrilling time, you know, and we 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 got out on the road, and we were really busy. It was kind of, it's kind of a blur, really. We were working so many shows, and I was out doing a ton of shows with Kenny Rogers and, but I was working with Randy and, uh, and Keith, we, we were all kind of, uh, palling around together and doing shows together. It, it, like I said, it really was a, a fun time for all of us. We were just, uh, kind of growing up together and learning together. I want to ask you about some of your specific hits. Uh, you had a lot of them, so we're probably not going to be able to get to all of them. And that's okay. But before I ask you about specific ones, I want to ask you this. Did you have a favorite song that, that you recorded? Is there any that stands out as your as your favorite that you like to perform? Well, gee, Glenn, I like them all, man. Uh, I tell it like it used to be. It'll always be special because it was the first hit I had, you mm-hmm. know, the first real hit I had. But I, 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 I like all those songs, man. I wouldn't even be talking to you if it weren't for those songs. And I still sing them every show and I still, I'm I'm still having fun doing what I'm doing, and I'm probably having more fun now than I ever had because, you know, the pressure's off. I'm not out chasing a hit. Uh, I'm just kind of doing my thing, you know. I don't have anything really left to prove. I'm just enjoying life. Yeah, and a really, really good body of work to stand on. Um, tell it like it used to be. Yeah, you know, that's a good place to start. You know, at your at your breakthrough single. How did you end up recording that song? How did it fall to you? And what do you remember about recording it? Well, I, I sang the demo of that song. I was singing a lot of demos over at Tree Publishing, which was uh, the biggest independent uh, publisher in the world at the time. And that was one of the songs that came through, uh, and nobody had 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 a hit on it. And when I signed with Capitol Records, it was still there. And so we went back and got it, went in and recorded it, and Capitol put it out. I didn't have an album deal. I had a thing that they called singles deal back then. And they would put out a single, and if it didn't hit, they had the option to put out another one and then so on as long as they you know, wanted to keep doing it. And luckily, that first song they put out, Drowning in Memories, was enough of a hit for them to put out, I tell it like it used to be, and then, and then it was a big hit. So they called for an album. So I went down to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and and finished up the first album that wound up being called I Tell It Like It Used to Be, and, and then we were off off to the races. We, we we had a good run, man. I had a lot of fun, and I tell people I came along at a great time where I got to work with all my heroes and. Uh, work the road with all the one-name peoples, what I call them, Willie and Waylon, <laughs> Loretta and Conway and George and Tammy and Merle and that 
that whole just wonderful group of people. You got any uh, good stories that you can tell on the radio about working with those people? Because I know sometimes there's stories you can't necessarily tell on the radio. <laughs> well, they were just all they were just all really sweet to me. You know, they treated me like a regular guy. They didn't look down their nose at me. Um, they all uh, complimented me and encouraged me and and uh, the, every everybody was really nice to me. You know, I, I can't think of anybody that was you know ugly to me or anything. They were all um, we were kind of. I guess they looked at it like we're all in the same boat together, and that was a whole different era of artists. You know, so uh, that boy, that'll never happen again. Those guys are that were. They're all, they were all in a class by themselves, that's for sure. Well, from that album we were talking about, you know, Hell and High Water comes out, and that ends up being your first number one hit. And if I remember right, that's one that you, you co-wrote uh, as well. So uh, you get a song that you co-wrote, and it ends up being your first number one hit. I bet that felt pretty good. Yeah, well, that was neat. I wrote that with Alex Harvey, the guy that wrote Delta Dawn for Tanya. And, uh, yeah, that that really was fun. I Capitol Records had wanted me to cut it, and I didn't think it was any good. I didn't want to cut it. And if they insisted, then I recorded it, and then they wanted to put it out as a single, and I thought, man, y'all are going to kill my career before you <laughs> get started. And then it turned out to be a big hit. I, it just shows what I knew at the time. You know? <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. You think that just came from a place of insecurity early in your career? I mean, you'd written this great song, but maybe were a little bit down on yourself, didn't quite think it was up to snuff simply because of the fact that you wrote it? I just didn't have a whole lot of confidence in my writing yeah. at the time. Um, I think I kind of figured out if it, if, if it had my name on it, it couldn't be that good of a song. I think that's really what I was thinking. But... I don't say that way anymore, but at the time I did. That uh, definitely turned out not to be the case because you'd followed up with another number one hit after that in uh, in Don't Go to Strangers. Well, a friend of mine named Russell Smith song, and Russell is the guy that wrote and sang uh, Third Rate Romance, Low Rent Rendezvous. He had a band called The Amazing Rhythm Aces. Oh, yeah. I'd been familiar with Russell you know, since the seventies and when I was down in Georgia I knew about Russell and so it was good to be able to cut somebody he was kinda of like a hero to me and it was uh fun cutting something that, that he had written. Well next I want to get to my favorite song of yours, my family's favorite song of yours, Darlene, which was another number one hit for you. What can you tell me about uh recording that one? Well um uh, Ricky Ray Rector and Mike Geiger and Woody Mullins wrote that song, and and I remember they pitched it to me, and I put the cassette in my back pocket, and I went to meet with my producer to listen to some songs, and and I said, man, I think I found one, and he said, I think I found one too. And he opened his briefcase and laid the cassette down on his desk, and I pulled it out of my pocket. It was the same song, <laughs> so, so we thought, man. We'll cut it. So we did, and they put it out, and it was number one. It was it was a song I still sing, and people still love that song. I love it, too. She Couldn't Love Me Anymore is the next one I wanted to ask you about. Now, that one was uh, co-written by Mike McGuire. He's from Shenandoah, 
we actually had Shenandoah on. It's been almost a year ago now. Did you get to work with Mike at that time, or was that just one that was kind of passed to you and you ended up recording it without working with him? Well, they pitched that song to me, and uh, I call. I remember calling Mike up when they decided to uh, put that out as a single. I, I just wanted him to know that he was going to have a, a single out there, and that tickled him and uh, went on to be great friends with, with Mike. He and uh, Marty Raven are really close friends of mine now, so it was great getting to know Mike over the years, and uh, I'm I'm probably going to say I got to go down to Muscle Shoals and do some more stuff here next month, and hopefully I'll uh, be able to hang out with him. So yeah, it's a really good good group of guys for sure, and one of my favorite bands from that time. Another artist that you've been fortunate to work with, and you've worked with plenty of them, but uh, Tanya Tucker, you put out "Don't Go Out with Her" uh, right around 1990. And that one was written by Foster and Lloyd, so that had star power all over it, didn't it? Yeah, I knew that song from Foster and Lloyd. I was a big Foster and Lloyd fan, and I had their, uh, I guess it was their debut album, and I just listened to it over and over and over, and that song was like a bonus track on there. And when they called me to come, Tanya and I were on the same record label, and we were really good friends and they called me one afternoon to come down and, and cut a song with her so I went down the studio and they handed me a cassette and said go upstairs and learn this song and I looked at it and, and it was that uh, Foster and Lloyd song it was one I'd heard a hundred times so I said I already know this one and we went into the uh, vocal booth and sang it it didn't take us any time to cut it and we had a big record on it. It was, it was a really, like I said, man, back then it was just a, a fun time. We were all having fun. You talk about Tanya Tucker and, and being good friends with her. I think you just had her on your, your radio show as well, right? So you, you remain close to her, I guess, to this day? Yeah. Oh, man, she's like a sister to me. Yeah. Uh, I got an email from her yesterday. I sent her a song, and she was writing me back how much she liked it. So, yeah, we stay in touch. We, we've always stayed in touch. She's got to rank pretty high on your list because she does on mine as far as just uh, all-time great talents, right? Oh, she's one of a kind, man. And uh, She came along in that era, that same era, you know. She started out when she was 13, and I think she was 13 when Delta Dawn was a hit. So she's been doing it all her life. And, and she grew up with those uh, heroes, you know. And she's still out there, man. She won a couple of Grammys last year. Mm-hmm. She's doing doing some great work right now. She needs to be in the uh, Country Music Hall of Fame, I think. One hundred percent. Hard to believe that that voice was thirteen years old at that time, too. That's that's amazing. So, how about working with uh, George Jones on "I Don't Need Your Rocking Chair"? You were one of several on that um, that one CMA Vocal Event of the Year. I bet that was fun to be a part of. Well, George and I were really close friends. He, I was doing a show with him. It must, it was probably when I tell it like it used to be was out. You know, probably when that song was a hit. And I remember we were in Cincinnati at a place called the Cincinnati Gardens, and he sent for me. And I thought, man, George Jones is sending for me. I couldn't believe it. So I went <laughs> to his bus. I was scared to death. And uh, he just 
invited me to come over to his place and, and have lunch. You know, I guess that was on a weekend. He said, come over to my place on Monday and I'll take you to go eat. Uh, we were friends ever since then. So, it, yeah, it was always a thrill to be around George and and work with him, uh, whether it was doing the road or, or in the studio. We cut a couple of songs together. Uh, we did I Don't Need Your Rocking Chair, but we did other stuff too. So, yeah, he was a, he was a sweet man. When you go in to record a song like that, I'm guessing everybody's not there at the same time. Did, did everybody record their parts separately, or did you guys overlap a little bit? No, we were all there the same day. It really? Fan, it was during fanfare, and we were all in town. And, uh, yeah, we just went over to Woodland Sound Studio. It was the same, same place, same room I cut. Uh, I tell it like it used to be in. And, uh, yeah, I got some good pictures of that day where we were all just around the mic singing. Yeah, it was, it was a fun day. Well, that's cool. That That's how I pictured it. But as I got older, I guess I got a little bit jaded. I thought, nah, they must have recorded that separately. So I'm glad it went down the way I originally thought. That's that's awesome. Yeah, we were all, we were all in there together. Like I said, man, it, it was a ton of fun. Very, very cool. Over the years, you've you put out some, some different types of projects. How about 1998, Wine into Water? This was a big one and, and uh, certainly something emotional for you because I know you were going through a tough time at that time. What can you tell me about Wine into Water and the story behind it? Well, you know, we wrote that song and I wrote it with Ted Hewitt and Bruce Birch and, they, and none of us can remember writing it that day. It was like we looked down and, and it was on the paper. It was really funny, man, because we all have that same story. I didn't, I didn't realize that they felt the same way till just a couple of years ago. Actually, we were sitting there talking, and it was pretty miraculous, actually. And uh, it just turned into a song about me. You know, I was trying to get straightened up, drinking too much, drinking too much, and uh, it just turned into this, uh, it took on a life of its own. A lot of people throughout the years, I say a lot of people, are, I mean hundreds of people have gotten in touch with me and told me it's helped them out. And it just uh, makes me feel really proud that God took that song and, and did something great with it. Man, it's going on to be recorded by like a hundred different artists. It's amazing. The most famous of which is probably... Loretta Lynn, she recorded a take on it, right? Yeah, she did record it, man, and that was a huge compliment. For that's where I first sang that song was out of her place, and uh, I was ashamed to sing it. Really, I was still drinking some, and I remember Sheila told me we were out there, and she said, "You got to sing this song." So Loretta loved it from the beginning, and and put it in her show, and uh, she. She did a great job on it, man, and we're we're putting together a book, a wine in the water book with a lot of stories in it. And she just wrote the forward to it the week before last. Sent me this the nicest uh, forward that you could ever want to hear. She was comparing me to Ray Charles and Conway Twitty and said that they, she it was the most complimentary thing. And coming from her was just was something I'm gonna treasure. 
That that's amazing. And so that kind of introduced you to some more of a, a Christian audience. And then later you'd put out a gospel album, Forever Changed, came out several years after that. But was that something fun to be a part of and kind of experiment with something a little bit different than you'd been used to? Yeah, it wasn't the most gospel album, you know, of all time. It was, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, it was like, a, uh, I call it more of a positive message album. Uh, I mean, we got we got nominated for a Grammy in the roots gospel category, so I guess it was gospel enough. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I had a lot of my friends on it. I mean, Vince is on it, the Oak Ridge Boys, Leon Russell, and, Jason Crabb, Jimmy Fortune, and Sonia Isaacs, and all. You know, it was it was a whole lot of fun to do, and and to have them them helping me out on it was really special. Really, really cool. I mean, your career, just uh, top to bottom, is something special, and I know it's something that that you're proud of, and you're not done yet. I know uh, you. I saw you got some tour dates on your schedule. You're, you're still you're still just kind of doing your thing, aren't you? Well, we're trying to. If they'll ever open up the whole country, it'd be great, man. We had. I guess we had about 100 shows scheduled last year and wound up not getting to do about 10 or less than 10. So we've been shut down pretty much so far this year. We've done a couple. Um, I know I'm going out uh, down to Florida this weekend to do one, but they're kind of few and far between, but I'm, I'm sure we'll get back to work soon. It's tough on musicians right now. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you got a new album out right now, Bare Bones. You just put that out in October. Tell me about that. Well, it's a um, an acoustic greatest hits album. I I needed something to do, so uh, we just sat down and did that. It was pretty pretty quick, and never had done anything like that before. So yeah, we did that, and I got that Sirius XM show live wire. You know, I'm doing that and. Um, I'm going to go down to Muscle Shoals next month and cut tracks to an album uh, called From Memphis to Muscle Shoals, and I'm going to cut old soul songs uh, that were hits in the 60s and get some Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top's going to sing on it and Al Green's going to sing on it, and I'm going to get Tanya to sing on it and White Owens going to be on it. Sam Moore from Sam and Dave's going to be on it, so that'll be a, a fun thing to do, too. You talk about that Sirius show, so I just got Sirius Radio because we just got a new car, and they gave it to you for free, so <laughs> I'm trying it out. So I'm, I, I want to check out your show. It's called Livewire. It's on Prime Country, which is Channel 58. Is there a specific time that it that it airs, or, or how does that work? It airs different times, different days of the week at uh there's no uh, set time for it to air. It airs kind of so everybody has a chance to hear it. You know, it's like it's not like it airs at 3 p.m. on Wednesday or anything like that. It might be at 3 in the morning or or in the evening or whatever. If you have Sirius XM, you can download. They have a free mobile app that you can listen to it on your phone or your iPad. And if you have that mobile app, you can go in there and it's on their own demand uh, list of shows. So, you know, you can basically listen to it whenever you feel like it. And what's the format of the show, T. Graham? Just looking through the guest list on some of your past shows, it seems like you get a lot of your old buddies on there with you. What do you guys talk about? What do you do? Well, it's a, it's called Live Wire. It's all live 
cuts from artists' live albums. I, oh. I, I have six artists on, and I play a couple of songs. I go from, I take listeners from concert to concert to concert. Common thread is the songs that I play have to have been hits between 1980 and 2000. But uh, like this, this show that's out now, Tanya just did a a uh, album at the Troubadour in Hollywood, a live album, and then I play uh, uh, Alan Jackson and George Strait from a live album they did, and then one from Gary Morris with just him sitting on a stool with a guitar. And I play some from Dwight Yoakam. I do Bob Seger, a couple of his. Uh, I just kind of skip around, you know. I take people on a, a trip around wherever. And uh, it's an interesting show. It's just all live live cuts from live albums. So it's a pretty, pretty interesting and fun thing. That does sound really cool. Again, Prime Country is Channel 58 on your uh, Sirius XM dial. T. Graham Brown has been our guest and the latest member of the Honky Tonk Time Machine. T. Graham, I got to tell you, it has been really fun talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, Glenn, you're welcome, man. Thanks for having me on the show. And God bless you and God bless your listeners and God bless the United States of America. God bless you too, T. Graham. We appreciate it. Okay, pal. Thank you.